and can be found on page 1568 of the Blue Bibles. When they came to the other disciples, they saw a large crowd around them and the teachers of the law arguing with them. As soon as all the people saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with wonder and ran to greet him. What are you arguing with them about, he asked. The men in the crowd answered, Teacher, I brought you my son who is possessed by a spirit that has robbed him of speech. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him to the ground. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, and becomes rigid. I asked your disciples to drive out the spirit, but they could not. O unbelieving generation, Jesus replied, how long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. So they brought him. When the spirit saw Jesus, it immediately threw the boy into convulsion. He fell to the ground and rolled around, foaming at the mouth. Jesus asked the boy's father, how long has he been like this? From childhood, he answered. It has often thrown him into fire or water to kill him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. If you can, said Jesus, everything is possible for him who believes. Immediately the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. When Jesus saw that a crowd was running to the scene, he rebuked the evil spirit. You deaf and mute spirit, he said, I command you. Come out of him and never enter him again. The spirit shrieked, convulsed him violently, and came out. The boy looked so much like a corpse that many said, He's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him to his feet, and he stood up. After Jesus had gone indoors, his disciples asked him privately, Why couldn't we drive it out? He replied, This kind can only come out by prayer. This is the word of the Lord. The impossible. This used to hang in my father-in-law's office from what I've been told when he was principal at Calvin Christian School. We the unwilling, led by the unqualified, have been doing the unbelievable for so long with so little, we now attempt the impossible with nothing. It's a real encouraging statement, right? It has in it a sense of overwhelmed, a sense of we don't know any better, a sense of of things are so far beyond us, we don't even know they're impossible anymore. We're in a space that we have not anticipated entering into, and we find ourselves kind of bewildered. What now? What do we do? Jesus' disciples actually had had a lot of that. Remember, several of them were fishermen, and they have found themselves in the chapters of Mark before this doing healings themselves. Not just watching Jesus, but Jesus had actually sent them out and given them authority to do miraculous things, and they had done them. I don't know about you, but I don't ever recall praying for somebody and seeing a leg or an arm instantly healed. I haven't raised the dead. I haven't cast out a demon. 
maybe some of you have, but it's not our ordinary North American Christianity experience, is it? And yet the disciples did that. Mark chapter 6 records this little interaction. Then Jesus went around teaching from village to village and calling the twelve to him, he began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over impure spirits. And after a few instructions, it it gives this narrative. They went out, being the the twelve, and preached that people should repent. They drove out many demons and anointed many sick people with oil and healed them. Just let the, the impossible nature of that sink in for you a moment. These were fishermen. These were uneducated people. These were people who had, in their culture, no religious standing because if you were a fisherman, it means by the age of 12, they had already determined you didn't have enough religious aptitude to continue in your training. And by 12 years old, you took on the, the job that your parent had had. You were not going to be one of the religious leaders. And here they are, acting with authority and power, preaching repentance, seeing people come to salvation, seeing people's lives transformed, seeing healings happen and demons being cast out. Pretty amazing. Almost so far beyond our reality that we have a hard time understanding it. But this is where they were at. They were, they were in this type of thing. And so Jesus and a couple of the disciples are gone and the other ones are standing there and up comes this man and says, Heal my son. Please. And they go about their work just like they've been doing and suddenly it doesn't work. Their formula, their way of, of going out and healing, I'm sure they anointed with oil. I'm sure they prayed over him. I'm sure they said, in Jesus' name, come out of him. And some reason, this demon didn't let go. They're beside themselves. Not only are they beside themselves, all along, all through the story of Mark, as Mark tells the gospel, there's this group of religious leaders who keep following along. And those religious leaders come up and and they're challenging Jesus and his authority at every step. And here, Jesus isn't present and they see an open window and they get in there and they start arguing with the disciples. Why can't you heal him? (laughs) Is Jesus not here? You can't do it? Why not? And suddenly an argument develops. And any time there's a religious argument, a whole crowd comes around, doesn't it? Everybody wants to see what's happening. Somewhere in that crowd, the dad and his son are still there. And this big argument happening over why they can't heal him. Maybe Jesus is just a fraud. Maybe he's not all he said he was. Maybe his disciples really have just been playing a game and they've forgotten how to play it. Maybe everything else has been staged. All the doubts, all the fears, all the wondering coming in. I'm sure at this point, a father who loved his son deeply 
who had watched his son suffer for all those years is starting to learn a sense of helplessness. Can anyone heal my son? Can anyone save him? I mean, seriously, he's been thrown in the water to to drown. He's been thrown into the fire by the Spirit to burn. I've had to rescue him again and again. Can someone please help him? The priest couldn't. He had heard about this miracle worker, Jesus, but but Jesus' disciples were there and Jesus was nowhere to be seen and, and his disciples couldn't heal him. And now there's this whole argument about whether Jesus or not could even heal anybody and, and what's really happening here. And, and that learned helplessness is turning into a learned hopelessness. Maybe you've been there. Maybe you are there. Maybe we're there as a culture. I know I sit and I listen to the news and I hear the conversations on this major political level and international level about how do we deal with human trafficking between countries and countries and and, and people don't know how to deal with it. And we find little ways to get in there but the, the volume of the problem seems overwhelming. Lord, slavery still in our day? Yeah. How do we deal with this? Will it ever change? Maybe it's not a big social justice issue. Maybe it's something closer to home. You see a child who's been wandering away and getting into trouble or a sibling who just has made a whole series of wrong choices and it doesn't matter how many people talk to them, they seem to get further and further into trouble. And you're longing for them to experience some peace and hope in their life. And you're longing for them to see the light and to make some good choices. And they don't. After 10 years or 20 years, or 30 or 40 or 50, your heart, your heart knows that Father's hopelessness. You almost don't know if you can pray anymore. Or maybe it's something you're struggling with. An addiction that you don't want to talk about. It captures your, your body and your appetite and it causes you to deceive, to hide things, to steal. Maybe it's a, a, a brokenness inside that you just can't get past that sense of anxiety and fear and dread that kind of hangs on you and, and you don't know what to do with it. And you've prayed for God to take it away and he hasn't yet and you're wondering, when will I ever experience this relief? When will I experience the good news that's been promised to me? When, O oh Lord? And you read a psalm like Psalm 13 that says, How long, O oh Lord, how long? long. That's all the further you can read because the tears just come. That's this text. That's this story. That's what Jesus walks into the middle of. That's the reality of his disciples were experiencing. I barely need to ask this question, do I? Because we all have those places, those little places in our lives that are filled with doubt and where faith seems to never be able to grow. 
Jesus has an interaction with the father, the father of this child. And, and it's one that sounds sharp to our ears, but the father says to him, Jesus, if you can, if you can do something, please do. Jesus responds to him, if you can. You see, all through this passage, there's a, a narrative of unbelief going through it. Uh, unbelief of the disciples and of the, of the people in the community, the teachers of the law who are scoffing. And, and Jesus' response to confronting them earlier in the passage is, you wicked and unbelieving generation. Notice he says generation. It's not just the few disciples that were hanging back that he's critiquing. It's not just the crowd that's gathered around. It's certainly not the father of this child. But it's that whole community. And it harks back to language that's used in the Exodus time period. Where there's this whole generation of people who, who no longer believe that God can do what he says he will do even though they saw the miracles. Even though they saw God deliver them from Egypt from the most powerful authority that they had ever imagined, Pharaoh and his army. God had delivered them through the Red Sea. And God had provided them manna in the desert and water from rocks. Water from rocks in the desert. And yet they were hardening their hearts that passage we read earlier, Psalm 95, do not harden your hearts as the people did at Meribah where God poured out that water from the rock for them and gave them something to drink when they thought it was impossible. And yet they hardened their hearts and they complained against God and against Moses. Deliver us. Bring us to the place we want to be if you can. Take care of us if you can, God, or let us go back to Egypt. And Jesus is using that same reference. This generation, how many times do you have to be delivered and see the deliverance to know that God desires for you to be free and that God is at work making all things new? How long? Unbelieving generation. And so when the Father says, if you can, Jesus' response to him is to enter into that brokenness with him. If you can, I hear your doubt. I hear your hopelessness. I hear your struggling. I hear your longing. I hear your crying out. I know your faith can barely say, if you can. Everything is possible for those who believe. It's quite a statement. The Father's response tells us that he understood what Jesus was saying because his response right after that is, I do believe. I do believe. I believe, Jesus. Heal my son. Take away this, this demon that has been tormenting him. Set him free. I believe. And yet in that moment of belief, he also acknowledges the reality of his heart. Even though I believe you can do it, I'm still feel, filled with doubt and fear that you won't. 
I'm still feel filled with that sense of anxiety and being overwhelmed and defeatedness, that hopelessness. It's still there in me and it's unbelief. And I own it before you. Jesus, I believe. I can't even believe. I can't open up my heart to that level of belief. Help me. Help me, Jesus. And Jesus heals him. Just like that. He rebukes the demon. And he rebukes the demon in a way that he doesn't do in any other text. Telling that demon to leave and never come back to him. It's a unique a unique statement from Jesus in all the texts, and I believe it is a full statement of grace and comfort to that father. That father who's listening to him and wondering, okay, maybe he healed him for a moment, but, but what's going to happen five weeks from now, or a year from now, or, or down the road somewhere? Is my son going to have it start up again? And Jesus speaks not only that command to the demon, but does that command out loud in a way that that father hears Jesus' compassion. Never come back. Father receives his son again, and, and we don't hear any more from the father in this story, but we hear from Jesus' disciples. You see this whole section of scripture starting in the middle of chapter 8, right after Peter says, you are the Messiah, the Son of God. Jesus starts saying the Messiah has come and he's going to suffer and he's going to die. And there's a whole journey through chapter 9 and chapter 10 that Jesus does intense teaching with his disciples. And the miracles kind of step into the background. And what's happening in this text is, is though there is a miracle and there is an exorcism and it is a unique and powerful situation, that exorcism actually steps into the background. What steps into the foreground is Jesus teaching his disciples. And he brings them to this place. I know the NIV ends with, this kind only comes out by prayer. Almost all of the ancient manuscripts actually say prayer and fasting. There's two of them which tend to be more reliable. Two of those ancient manuscripts just end with prayer. But the vast majority of the manuscripts end with prayer and fasting. Jesus' response to them is an invitation to encounter the impossible. Not that you're going to be able to do it on your own strength, disciples. You may have forgotten that along the way. You've cast out a few demons. You think you got it in hand. Now you can do it on your own strength and your own energy at any time you want. You've got it. That's what you think, but that's not the case. Every time you encounter the impossible, whether it's a systematic injustice that fills your society or your culture, Phil was praying about this this morning. That comes to mind, doesn't it? It's Sanctity of Life Sunday. We live in a culture that has embraced abortion. And we live in a culture that is beginning to brace euthanasia, where we're devaluing life at the beginning and at the end. And as a culture, it seems overwhelming. How are we as a church to engage this culture how do we engage in ways that help protect those who are unborn and those who are elderly? 
If we listen to those conversations around the world, we see it coming in in all sorts of places where people are less than human or their viability is not quite fully there. How do we engage? How do we respond to these demonic forces in our world? And Jesus' response to them is, you're not going to get it out on your own strength. I invite you to bring it before me. To come before me with prayer and fasting. To lay these heavy burdens down. To to bring them before my throne. to, To recognize that I am the God over all of creation. The one who made the mountains and the valleys. The one who has created every life and given breath to animate humanity. It is my spirit within them. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened. Take those things that seem impossible and bring them before me because I know you can't carry them and you won't fix them on your own strength. But trust me, I am at work here and now. Commentators talk about this as not being a magical formula. Some people want to take this as a magical formula that if we just pray and fast, we're guaranteed to have the results we want. It's a magical formula in Scripture. Prayer and fasting, it's going to turn every key and open every door for us and we'll get what we want. And some even bend this to talk about riches and wealth and prosperity and fame and influence. But that's not here. I don't know if you noticed in the reading of the text, but there is no place in here where it says Jesus withdrew to pray. It doesn't even say as he did right before Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, Father, I pray this not for my benefit, but for those who are listening, raise him. (laughs) Like There's no prayer. And there's nothing in the text around this that talks about Jesus going off to fast before he heals this boy and casts out the demon. It's an invitation. An invitation to Jesus' disciples. When you encounter the impossible, recognize that things are possible with me. Come before me. Bring it to me. Don't try to make it on your own. Don't try to do it all on your own and on your own strength. Bring it to me. And could there be Anything more impossible than us being freed from our sins? Us being set free from from that sinful nature that we have bought into and participated in? And where Jesus is heading right after this passage, he tells them a second time, the Son of Man must go and die. And then he'll be raised. And what we're about to celebrate in a few moments is is Jesus showing us. Showing us that he's got us. That the most entrenched thing in our world, the deepest brokenness, our sin and the sinfulness of the whole world, he's going after the root cause of it. That separation between us and God. And he's going to bring about a reconciliation there. And if if Jesus can reconcile us with God, Is there anything else too impossible for him? And the resounding answer in Scripture is no. God God may not answer the prayers 
we, we pray in the way we want and in the time frame we want. But we have a definitive statement from Jesus in his death and resurrection that he is at work overcoming every enemy of ours. And when we celebrate this meal, we're actually participating with that father uh, who's, who's longing for his son to be healed. And we're saying, I believe, help me overcome my unbelief. Enter into those areas of my life where I've become hopeless, where I no longer believe you can heal or work or move, where I've simply resigned that this is the way it always has been and always will be, and I no longer see your grace or your love or your work. We take that bread and that cup as an act of faith and belief in the midst of a world and circumstances that tell us we should not believe. And in it, we say, Lord Jesus, I believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. Even here. Even now. Let's pray. Lord, we so often try to figure out life, our life, and the lives of the people around us on our own strength. We try to figure it out with our own intelligence. We somehow have convinced ourselves that we need to be strong and independent. And so we hide our weaknesses. We hide the pains that shadow our hearts. We don't even bring them to you. Forgive us. Forgive us for not coming to you. Teach us to pray. Teach us to fast, not as a, a tool of manipulation, but as an act of dependency to lay our lives before you and say, Lord, you see what is haunting us. You see what is too powerful and too strong for us. You see what overwhelms our spirit and our souls and our bodies. And we are dependent on you, on every word that comes from you. Act in ways that we cannot act. Move in hearts in ways that we cannot move. Change our laws and our world in ways that we cannot do. Holy Spirit, move in us and in your world. Make all things new as you have promised to do. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, our faithful Savior and Lord. Amen. We're going to sing a song, and it's actually a light-hearted song, and some of us may even want to start clapping with it. He's got the whole world in his hands. And part of the reason for choosing this song is that's what that faith is calling us towards. To recognize that even when the world seems to be falling apart, we have the assurance from God that he holds the whole world in his hands. Each of us, 
the whole world, the teeny tiny babies is one of the verses we'll sing. He holds the whole world in his hands. Let's stand as we sing.